2: Um, work hard in school. You might not like school, but make sure you're working hard at school.
0: It a it
2: a it's your boy DM3, and you're listening to the Witty Not Funny Sports Podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Let's go. Witty Nation, welcome. Everyone to episode 91 of the Witty Not Funny Sports Podcast, the number one self rated podcast about sports, entertainment, and everything in between, and is always part of the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at Witty Sports 716. Follow everything the Built and Buffalo family has given you every single day Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Built and Buffalo underscore. It's a takeover. We are your hosts, of course. I am Matt Greco. He is Tony Ambrose. Tony, what's going on?
1: Bills, Bills, Bills punk god he wolf navigator bills 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 what's up man how you doing hello witty nation
2: i thought you were gonna go when you started with bills 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 i thought you were going destiny's child bills 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 maybe a little bait out there for you for next week <laughs> oh 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 Destiny's Child, child okay bills, well bills.
1: i'm not gonna write that down and completely forget <laughs> you said that okay huh? take it or leave it take it or leave it Tony, we got uh, some Bills news to
2: get into. Obviously, the draft picks that we discussed last week with our instant reaction show are in the house at One Bills Drive. We got a little bit more insight into their personalities and to their first visits to the city and their first impressions and our first impressions of these players from a personal standpoint, which is always important with this team and the culture and the process and whatnot. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Then after that, very excited, Tony. To finish the episode, we're going to have a review of the Bills classic made for TV TNT original <laughs> second string starring John Voight and Gil Bellows. Tony, I could not be more excited to talk about this movie later on this episode. Oh,
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I It's been more than a few years since I've seen it. I'm so happy to have watched it. I'm so happy to break it down with you for Witty Nation.
2: It's going to be a pleasure. Uh, but first, Tony, let's Talk about the NFL draft. Obviously last week we had the NFL draft. The Bills made a bunch of picks. One of them not being Jojo Doman. Are you still bitter? Are you still feeling all the emotions a week later here? (laughs) Or or have you come down from your mountain of anger? A
1: little bit of both. I would say that I've come down from a mountain of anger. I'm ready to see what Spectre can and will do. But the minute, yeah, that's kind of what I think too.
0: The minute
1: that, I hear some blog post or something or tweet or anything about how Doman is doing in Indianapolis. Well, I'm just going to lose my shit
2: completely. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Will Compton NFL player for the Titans and been around the block, but said it was a huge steal for the Indianapolis Colts to get Jojo Doman mm-hmm. as an, as an UDFA, which I tend to agree with, which I know you would tend to agree with. So Yeah, the first thing we read about Jojo that is a positive, he made a play, he's making an impression in the locker room with the coaching staff. It's not going to be a good scene here. Tony's going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. We hyped him up for three weeks. We, we can't just, we can't rest on our laurels now. We can't just deviate to, to Baylen Spector and, and be a fan of his. No, it's, it's, it's Jojo ride or die here on the way to Fight sports podcast. But so let's talk some non-bill stuff. Any observations you had from the NFL draft, whether it was Roger Goodell getting booed or just the presentation of the TV presentation itself, fans, players, what they're wearing. We'll go back and forth in terms of observations, but what is the first observation you had about this nfl draft non-bills related
1: well the observation that i wanted to bring up and it's a video i can only assume that you've seen of the reporter in the crowd at the draft and there's like a like a raiders fan who hits on her
2: oh the eagles fan and
1: she gives him yeah the eagles fan forgive me yeah yes. the eagles fan that <laughs> the eagles fan that's dressed as a raider right <laughs> yes and he,
2: uh, green mohawk and he, silver, silver face paint, her,
1: yeah and then she like kind of gives him his number how do you feel about that man how do i think you feel she about slipped i scene? think she
2: slipped him like a 20 i think it was stage first of all the fans are oh, 100% Yeah, the fans are something else. Speaking specifically about this Eagles fan, throughout the whole week, he was there every night. Every day, every night, he was there for the draft. Front and center the camera was eating up the energy and and whatnot, and that's probably why he got chosen to do this NFL Network segment. But my question was, he was there. Does he remove the face paint every night? Does he keep it on? Like That seems like a lot of work to take it on and off every day for three days straight. Mm -hmm. The fans in general just... I'm sorry, like bother the crap out of me. I can't stand the incessant clapping of players. They have no idea who that, they could read any name on that card and the, these fans would clap like they know who it is, like he's a future pro bowler or hall of famer. They have no idea who this guy is 80% of the time, especially, especially past round two. I'll give them one in two, rounds one and two for player knowledge, but something's telling me past round two very few in that crowd are knowing who they are and they're acting like they are gonna change the face of the franchise, these players who they've Mm -hmm. never even heard of. The outfits alone are just ridiculous. Uh, I saw a Cowboys fan who was wearing this like Mark Kelso giant helmet with it looked like like sirens uh, circling it. The, the Eagles fan you mentioned, just fans drive me nuts. I mean, if I were to go to the NFL draft, like I'd be interested in knowing who the players are and, and getting that experience. And these fans just they go to have fun and that's perfectly fine. And that's the world they live in. And that's great. But just don't don't fake it. Like if you don't know who the player is, don't don't pretend like you do. Don't clap like, OK, yeah, great Pick. It's like a family feud, and like you know, it's bad, but your family, like the production studios, tells you, like, just platform and say good answer. Like, that's what I feel like with these NFL fans at the NFL draft. Like, it's just no matter who the players read, they're like, okay, great play, great, great pick, great player, love it, love it, love the pick. Except if you're a New York Giants or Jets fan, then you just boo everything. But the fans are. a specific sticking point with me, Tony, year after year.
1: I would agree. And this is really where fans show who they really are, is in the situation of to me, my brain was working overtime. They read off the name Cole Strange to the Patriots right. in the first round. And then we see the fans just for a moment hesitate in stunned silence and then go crazy for Cole Strange.
0: <laughs> I have no, no idea who like is. that's
1: the representation of a Patriots fan. That's what I would expect a Patriots fan to do. Right. What would I expect a Jets fan to do? I would expect them to boo, like crazy. This is where the fan of every town like shows their color, is on these picks in the NFL draft in all the right ways. And then I always remember when the Jets had back- to- back picks and they chose Anthony Beck. This is obviously I'm taking back like twenty years here. Mm-hmm. but and they took Anthony Beck and, the Jets fans they showed in the crowd were just—they were just livid. They were ready to burn down the Meadowlands. The things I—the things I saw on TV, like they were just so angry. And that's when I—that's when like we learned every everyone's true colors. Everyone's true colors are shown through the deciphering of the picks in this way. And I have to say, I found the little stage skit by this Eagles fan dressed as a Raider. I thought, what it was supposed to be is that. She gives him her number. Okay. I thought that was what the exchange was at the end. But the reason that I'm bringing this up is because my overall thought process on seeing this video and seeing this little sketch that they put together is that it's confusing. The whole thing was confusing. I'm like, <laughs> why is this man talking to her? Why is she showing this much respect, but then also also really brushing him off? And then all of a sudden, she does give him the number. It was all over the place. The whole thing was confusing. The character that this guy is playing was confusing. It was a swing and a miss for me. It was a big swing and a miss for me.
2: There's a whole article from the National Review on on draft fans and just pictures of them. and It's it's just a bunch of tryhards. Like, that's what it like, seems to me. <laughs> I mean, ask them to name like 15 guys on the roster, and I, I bet you they can get through five. Like Chiefs fans are like mm. Patrick Mahomes, and they probably still think Tyreek Hill is on their team. And I don't even know, like, the appeal of going to the NFL draft if you don't know who the players are. Like to me, you like to be the, in deep. Yeah. Like <laughs> you got to be in deep is right. I would love to go because I know a bunch of players and I do mock drafts, I do research and. You know, I'm I'm sure some of the people in the crowd are and I'm not speaking holistically here in terms of everyone, but you think like 80 year old dude who has Lions overalls on and a hard helmet and his painted mustache silver and his eyebrows are blue. (laughs) Like you think that guy knows who the Lions are taken in the fourth round and (laughs) like cares or thinks it's a good pick or a bad pick? Like, no. Absolutely not, but he's cheering like he does. And it just it bothered me. There was a Texans fan who there's two actually uh, side by side who I remember. One had a mask from the dance troupe, the Jabbawockies, which is just like a white, just very oh yeah. Mask. And the guy next to him had the same mask, but it was a USA print. And I'm like, But you're a Texans fan. I, wouldn't you have a Texans print mask? <laughs> like I just don't know what's going through these people's heads. It's it's very odd to me. Fans are, are like I said, my sticking point when it comes to the NFL draft. I think they purposely bring in the, the most character of characters for these things. And it doesn't make my viewing experience any more pleasurable. Uh, my first observation, though, Tony, is... The presenters, every year they are presenters throughout the draft. We had our friend do it one year for Des Lewis and the Bills, which was which was great to see. As we mentioned in a previous podcast, but uh, this year the Bills had Kyle Brandt do their third round pick, giving a rousing, motivational, Super Bowl winning Bills speech, picking Terrell Bernard, which was awesome to see. Stevie Johnson doing the second round pick. By the way, have we figured out who the mystery man up on stage with Stevie Johnson was? A week later, here because
1: I don't whoa, think we whoa, have. Whoa, 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 man! Why stop mentioning picks? Is what I was going to say
0: because
1: in our in our conversation, because that is that is something I was definitely going to bring up. I had that in my back pocket as oh. to who is this guy? <laughs> who is this? And guy how do, right. And if he's just a guy, if he's just a guy from Stevie's entourage. How do I get in Stevie's entourage? <laughs> right, exactly. So far, it seems like a pretty good deal. You get a cool hat. You get to stay, be on the stage at the draft. You get it all.
2: <laughs> yeah, it seems like you do get it all if, if you're in Stevie's entourage. I'd love to be in Stevie's entourage. But I'm, oh, I'm going mm-hmm. I'm going with a second-round pick for the Vikings. Uh, a guy by the name of Ed Marinaro made the pick, who was the Vikings' second-round pick, I think, in 1972. And your job as a... announcer like you can do like a 30 second spiel like Kyle Brandt did probably you get more time and they're more lenient the more notable you are. And Ed Marinero is not, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, like it's a pasta sauce. Ed Marinero is not as notable as Kyle Brandt. I have no idea who the guy was looking him up and I guess he only played like a year or two for the Vikings. So I don't think he's like that like entrenched in Vikings culture that even Vikings fans know who he is. But anyway, Ed goes up there Second round pick. His job is mainly to read the card and read the pick. And that is it. Maybe say, happy to be here. Great energy. Like just give, you know, one or two lines kind of off the cuff. But your main job is to go up there and read the card and the pick. Ed took three minutes, (laughs) seemed very confused (laughs) about what was going on, talking about how he was sitting on draft day in his college in Ithaca, in his college dorm room in Ithaca, and how he wanted to go. To any other team other than the Packers and the Vikings, the team had actually selected. I mean, said the Vikings were the second least team you wanted to go with, or what? Whatever, which was odd in itself. But Ed took instead of thirty seconds, he took three minutes, and eventually a production assistant, a woman, came out on stage and literally said, "Read the car," <laughs> to Ed. <laughs> in the middle of his spielier, and it was just an all-time classic moment so my first observation the presenters and especially ed who went a little long they didn't have an oscar-esque you know play him off with music like they had to have somebody go up on stage and tell him to just <laughs> read the card and, and be done with it so ed you get uh you get a nod from me and a, a tip of the hat
1: <laughs> shout out to ed if I, if I was in that situation too, yeah. I would soak it up too. I would want oh. to be in there. Yeah. You will listen to every damn word I have to say because I have the <laughs> microphone. This is, my, this is my moment.
2: We are all Ed. Ed is our yeah. hero. What's uh-huh. another observation you had?
1: Okay. Here's something that I thought was so obvious that was going to happen. Then I feel like it didn't happen. First of all, let's break it down in sections. What are your thoughts on the fuchsia carpet? Hate it? Yeah. Same. I didn't know. Like, Is fuchsia like a... Symbolic color of Vegas is that something that there is? I'm not too sure. Like the flamingo, I think is, people you just know, like, like saying fuchsia. Legendary hotel, yeah, because people, people like to fuchsia. say fuchsia, uh-huh. <laughs> like salsa. So then, so then we have the fuchsia carpet, and okay, it was promoted. Like then there were the flamenco girls that were going to be standing along the fuchsia carpet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like in the promos as like they're showing players in their in their duds walking right. the fuchsia carpet for commercials. There's the dan- there's the Vegas dancers all around there. Then when they were getting selected or when they were around any other time that it was really happening and on the fuchsia carpet, it was just a pink carpet. I think it would have made <laughs> way more sense if those dancers were there and like they match the carpet and like it gives a Vegas vibe and this carpet's fuchsia and it's a whole thing. This just looks like an awkward carpet to me without those dancers. Now you're just on this rug and you just want to be like, did they know that the NFL's colors are red, white, and blue? Because right. it just looks like insane. It just looks insane without any connection or any dancers or anything. So that's my uh, philosophy. That's that's what I was thinking anytime I saw that fuchsia carpet.
2: Fuchsia carpet was a very awkward color choice. I don't, I don't know why. The whole kind of creative content, if you will, is very... Like even... On stage, the the NFL draft, just the the font it was in, it was like out of Avatar, very weird. Didn't seem like they played off the Vegas thing a lot uh, this draft. I thought they could have done a lot of cool stuff. Like the NHL All Star Game was in Vegas, and they I thought they did a lot of cool things, like incorporating Vegas and gambling and whatnot. And I thought I thought the NFL could have done a, a couple cool things with the, with the Vegas motif, but uh, other than the the fuchsia carpet and, and the Vegas dancers, I didn't I didn't see. A lot of incorporation, which I thought they dropped the ball on. So
1: I saw the graphics on the screen were a lot of card themed, like yeah, card themed.
2: That's all. I, that's all I saw too. I yeah. saw that,
1: but like that's for them. What about us on TV? Was the
2: was the backstage uh, carpet uh, fuchsia as well? Ooh,
1: I feel like it was green, but that's only in my memory. Like where I picture Sauce Gardner walking when he was going to the wrong place. I had that. Shot trying to picture like,
2: those green. Sauce Gardner gets picked by the Jets and tries to leave the building immediately. <laughs> he just yeah. goes on the run down to down to Mexico. He's a, he's out. I'm not going to the Jets. He's on the lamb. <laughs> by the way, what, what was with Sauce Gardner's necklace? Is I should make that plural. One said sauce and it was like dripping. But then there was like another one, which looks like a baby bottle, but I'm guessing it was a sauce bottle that also said sauce. I know the branding <laughs> and the marketing, these players are playing into it, but do we need two giant uncut gem chains? That say sauce on them, like I, I, it was unnecessary. I think we do. Was... I'm
1: not gonna. I'm not gonna knock sauces drip.
2: You're not. I'm not you're not gonna drip. To
1: knock sauces drip. <laughs> not can't. I thought, can't it, was won't I thought it was a
2: funny like dichotomy of like sauce has the drip, the giant you know chains, the, the bling. And then Garrett Wilson, then Jets' next pick has like pearls like he's Lisa Simpson.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) What
2: These guys do not seem like they're going to get along (laughs) based on their choice of necklaces. They'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. That's for Soleil to figure out. That was one of my aspirations too, was just the outfits these guys wear, you know, whether it was the chains they wear, like Drake London had a big DL chain. Ikiyaku had like this Nigerian outfit, which was really cool, like playing out his nationality. Jordan Davis looked like the human version of Red Stripe beer. I don't know what like he was thinking mm-hmm. there. Just just the outfits alone were were very funny. Jermaine Johnson had this like very highlighter yellow outfit. Kayvon Thibodeau had kind of the, the rhinestones like bordering collar and the outfits were uh pretty interesting this year. Aiden Hutchinson uh, had like on the inside of his jacket his childhood diary writings, I guess. Oh
1: yeah, I saw that. I remember that. Yeah,
2: that was that was interesting as well. So, interesting fashion. From the NFL draft selectees this year. Speaking of them going up on stage, uh, one of my observations was their weird interactions with Roger Goodell. It's every single year Roger Goodell comes out, he gets booed and he eats it up and he encourages it. And then, of course, Roger Goodell is known for the hug. Guy gets selected, comes up Mm -hmm. on stage, gets a huge hug from Roger Goodell. You know, sometimes he gets awkward. But (laughs) this year there was a lot of guys having swagger, like Thibodeau and Jordan Davis doing like dances and Roger Goodell, like, awkwardly trying to play along do them himself but you know because he's roger goodell and he's awkward and nobody really likes him he doesn't like exude swag or cool or anything it just looks well that's your opinion (laughs) that is my opinion it's a lot of people's opinions but it just looks yeah completely awkward I guess I missed the days when Tack McKinley would bring a giant photo of his grandma up on stage with him. And I like the props. Like, give me more props. So uh, that's one of my observations. Uh, Just the whole production itself. You know, the Vegas aspect. I I said how they didn't incorporate Vegas into, like, the draft selections. But they did seem to incorporate it in the in-between, like, to start the shows. And it started off with a literal boom cuz Ice Cube blew out the mic uh, yelling into it mm-hmm. um, this year which was which was very funny but the blue man group like doing this weird eating paint and then spitting it onto a canvas yes and I, and I, watched I thought it. I'm like okay this is a neat idea but then they were just like spitting the paint and it didn't really turn into anything it just turned into like something my 6-year-old could make so I wasn't very impressed by that you had Chris Angel doing a great artistic interpretation of the bill's drought years as he tried to escape a straitjacket hanging upside mm-hmm. down i, I appreciated mm-hmm. that yes and the the vagusness was interesting and then the most awkward thing i thought weezer like what was weezer doing <laughs> playing a song that didn't seem to pump the crowd up it was like imagine going to the nfl draft and hearing island in the sun to really get your energy flowing like that's the vibes i was getting from yep. weezer like they could have picked a like, "Hash pipe they could have picked buddy holly they obviously wanted to pick a new song but Pick a new song that has some like energy to it. So a lot of different entertainment acts being incorporated because of the Vegas aspect, but none of them really played for me and they all seemed a little bit awkward, Tony.
1: Now, I can't knock Weezer. If Weezer was there, if I was going in the draft as a Bills fan and they were also like, also Weezer's going to be here and do a few songs, I'd be super pumped. And if it was Island in the Sun, I would still be fine with that because to me that's just like ice. That's just some great icing on the cake. Tony, final observation yeah. if you have one, pick a good one. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna say, my, this will be very quick. <laughs> I'm gonna say what I thought was the best improvement by ESPN this year, and I think it was an improvement this year. Is the timeline in the graphic that goes down with the amount of time? Uh, remaining as these people are on the clock so it was like a first and second round thing but there was like a little yellow line that kind of like disappeared as time ran out and i thought that was a great graphic because you know i mean i know how much time is in each round but maybe not everybody does and that they that they added that and it adds a little drama i think to the mix like you see it, like it's a like it's a bomb going off or something. <laughs> that that moment that it flashes, the pick is in. You get
2: like super anxious and excited. That's always a great moment in the oh, bell times. We figured out the bell chime mm-hmm. finally, and it's not ba up ba ba It's da da da. We finally figured it out.
1: Yeah, we got it. We got it. Yeah, we it got
2: it. It's perfect. Tony, my final obs- my final observation was. Um, I kind of hate the Mr. Irrelevant stuff. For some reason, like this year, I learned the full scope of Mr. Irrelevant and what this player gets. These players worked their whole careers to make it to the NFL, to get drafted and, and to be like the highest pick they can to kind of celebrate the last pick of the draft, like they do, and like I learned that they do, seems super demeaning to me. Not only does the player mm-hmm. who's drafted last get the title Mister Irrelevant, he gets Irrelevant Week, which involves trips and all this stuff. He gets the jersey that says Mister Irrelevant. Uh, he also gets something called the Lowe's Man Trophy instead of the Heisman. He gets the Lowe's Man. Oh. Which depicts a player fumbling. <laughs> if If that was me, I'm super salty that I was the last pick of the draft. i'm I'm happy that my dreams come true and I'm into the NFL, but you know, I probably wish I was a fourth round pick. I, I don't want to be and the cherry on top to have this title and have this stupid trophy and have like this celebration and the wife and daughter of the guy it was named after who started it is out there like doing the presentation. It would make me feel like shit, honestly. (laughs) It's absolutely ridiculous. Just say the guy's name. Don't have this title. Don't have a celebration for him. He probably feels really bad as it is that he's the last pick of the NFL draft. So why why all this flair? Why all this extra stuff? (laughs) When I read like everything that is involved with being Mr. Irrelevant, I kind of felt really bad for, I think this year it was, was it Brock Purdy quarterback? It was a, it was a quarter. It was one of the I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. It, it just, why? Like, why, why is all this involved? Why celebrate the last pick of the draft like this? It kind of drove me nuts a little bit learning about it.
1: Being able to take that deep of a dive, I guess, I guess I'm just like mentally out of it any year, any given year by that time. Cause I, I just learned a lot from you about Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> I don't know. It's fun that they do something, but I can definitely see the player's perspective might be a little bit different than mine.
2: Yeah, I, I just feel like it's so demeaning to the player. What does he do with that jersey? What does he do with the the jersey that says two fifty three or two fifty six, whatever it is? It says Mister. Would you would you keep that if you if you got it? Would would you keep it? I would burn the crap out of that.
1: I mean, I. No way. I absolutely would. I'm like, that jersey Uh is going right in the frame and right in the basement on the (laughs) wall. I don't know. I think it's really demeaning.
2: I think it would be super crappy to get all this stuff. The the Lowe's man trophy. (laughs) This is a joke in itself now. That was my final observation. (laughs) So that's our NFL draft wrap up. We're going to talk about the Bills picks, but that puts a stamp on the week that was the NFL draft, the weekend that was the NFL draft. So Tony, anything else before we get into some Buffalo Bills news here?
1: No, I can't wait to get into the Bills news.
2: All right. We will uh be back after the break and we'll uh throw it over to the the sweet, the sweet tone of Marv Levy singing to you. Take it away, Marv. Go, go, Bills fight, bills go. Come on, let's win for Buffalo. And we are back. Tony getting into our Buffalo Bills. A lot of picks last week for the NFL draft. Encourage listeners to, if you haven't, go back and listen to our instant reactions. We came up with a lot of great nicknames that I think are going to stick. We got the He-Wolf, Clueless Shakir. We have Bernard.
1: Yeah, Bernard. Terrell Bernard. Terrell Bernard's nickname is his uh, name with a question mark (laughs) at the end. Yes
2: we have benford who i believe your wishes came true and he took a number with 40 i think he took 41 is that correct so it's the benford
1: 4100
2: I, I think so i think we got
1: more power baby
2: more, more power, power. <laughs> so yeah tony, we should but, get
1: this guy with owen power together oh, make wow. a video
2: that'd be great tony but speaking of the players the bills pick we earned a lot post draft about these players seeing one bills drive for to the media the first time but obviously they came in some of them came in for pre-draft visits and things like that but really getting them in front of the media finally getting to know them and let's start with our first round pick kair elam cornerback out of florida i uh, love the pick obviously i think it's obviously a position in need great Skill set he brings, length, ball hawking, playmaking ability. I love everything about him. But knowing the person, uh, I think I love him even more because Bill's Embedded, which is a great video series. Just got to give a shout out there to Bill's Embedded. But learning about Kyrie Elam, uh, learning about his personality, learning about his drive really kind of connected me to him. Uh, You know, in the pre draft visit with the Bills, he brought out this, the thickest of thick notebooks you could find talking about how. He takes notes on every receiver because it's a copycat league and things he can improve on, different routes that are run, things like that. Very impressed with Kyrie Elam pre-draft. And post-draft, you know, meeting the media, talking about himself and his his work ethic and what he brings to the table and his immediate impact he's going to make on this team. So just want to get your thoughts on our first round pick here.
1: Especially based on that video, I would say ever since Kyrie Elam showed up, I've just been nothing but impressed by his million dollar smile and his shining personality inside out. I from what it. you're saying from from the video that was released uh, about the playbook uh, that you saw, and I really appreciated like just the look on Bean and McDermott's face when they have all eyes on that on that notebook. Yeah. And McDermott literally licks his lips
0: when <laughs>
1: when the guy is thumbing through that notebook. So like in that moment, I was like, OK, I like him and I like his demeanor, what he's doing. Really liked what he brought to the table at the uh, at the Sabres game. I liked the mix of charisma and humility that was brought at the Sabers game. So I liked I liked seeing that a lot. Yeah, top to bottom, Kyrie Elam showing up big. Uh, yeah, I Mc- like his style. Yeah, I like it it's, all. Uh,
2: yeah, it's a whole package. Yeah, very funny. Sean McDermott looking his lips. It was like his eyes got big, and you could tell like at that moment yeah. Sean McDermott like, "This is our guy." What, what would you compare it to? It kind of felt like, to me, like like Indiana Jones finding the holy Grail in Last Crusade. <laughs> his eyes get super big. He's like, like wow, he's, this is it.
1: Yeah. Like, he just knew, like, this is the one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: he, like, knew, like, this is something special. Right. So, so very funny. A couple things learned about Kyrie Lam. Uh His special talent is he can crack his whole hand, which I think is a good thing as a cornerback <laughs> to have that kind of finger dexterity, if you will. You know how people, like, crack their knuckles? Like sure. Kyrie, Kyrie Lim can like really just literally make a fist and all his hand cracks at once. I yeah. think that, that's probably good for injuries, right? Like I feel like you can't get injured if your bones are cracking that frequently. <laughs> but the other thing is a little bit concerning to me that I learned about him pregame ritual. He drinks a whole gallon of water before the game. Tony, I don't need my cornerback one B, I should say, because Trey is one A. Uh, I don't need him taking bathroom breaks in the middle of a game. This concerns me a little. A whole gallon? Do you know how much a gallon is? That's a lot of water. Like pre-game, sitting in the locker room, just chugging water. A little concerning here. I'm I'm worried about the bathroom breaks
1: during game. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say I'm mildly worried about it, but I think it happens more often than we know it happens. I think we're preoccupied. I think it happens more often than we think. Yeah, probably. What I'm a little concerned about is like, okay, so does he know how NFL games work in terms of commercial breaks (laughs) and in terms of ad revenue and stuff? This isn't this isn't college Saturdays where just everything's are protected. Like these are gonna last a while. He'll figure it out. He'll find his way. He'll find his way. His bladder will find its way. I'm I'm worried
2: we're going to have a Lamar Jackson situation where he's running off the field because he has to go to the bathroom in the middle of the game. Like, that's my biggest concern at this moment. Another thing I'm very worried about, James Cook. I'm loving the player on the field. I like what he brings to the table as as a dual threat weapon for Josh in the passing and running game. I'm just perplexed by the fact that every time I see him, every time I hear from him, every time I learn more about him, he seems like such, and maybe this is a good thing, but he seems like such an anti-being personality. We just talked about Kyrie Elam and how you know he brought a giant notebook to his pre-draft visit, and if it was 80 pages, I'm guessing three of those pages were filled in with notes because that's a lot of notes he's taking. But him bringing the notebook and talking about how he wants to playbook on the plane, like James Cook is the most chill person I have ever seen in my life, and it just seems... <laughs> like such an anti McDermott being guy. It's really perplexing to me during his initial media foray or question and answer session. A lot of just like one word answers. It didn't look like he was all there. I I can't get a beat on this guy. Honestly, Tony, I'm a little concerned. If you look at the characters they brought in, the charisma they brought in Josh and Diggs and like these all all these guys seem to be you know they're all different in their own way but they all kind of seem to be on the the same page of having fun and dancing during practice and even a guy like Mitch Morse who's not going to do that stuff at least he it feels like he's not like out of the loop it feels like he's not an outsider he you know integrates himself into the group as as best as he can but it all seems like they're kind of on the same wavelength and then there's James Cook who just seems completely opposite of all that he better be like awesome on the field cuz his personality just i don't feel like it meshes I, I I don't know Tony this one a mystery to me
1: you know What I think about with James Cook, besides his navigation and cartography (laughs) skills, is what you appreciate something, right? That I appreciate. Now, did you know, Matt, that James Cook is Dalvin Cook's brother? Have you heard that?
2: No, I haven't.
1: Oh, yeah. Did you know Chris O'Leary plays
2: lacrosse and Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard?
1: Did you know that Jack Nicholas's grandson, Nick O'Leary, played for the Bills?
2: Oh, really? That's news to me. Wow. Right. Interesting. You'd think
1: Interesting. that with storylines like these, that the media, the classic mainstream mainstream media over here, you'd think they would be uh, <laughs> talking about that a little bit more.
2: Right. I don't think they're about But here about we it are.
1: <laughs> I kind of don't think they do. It's very surprising.
2: I haven't heard a word about how he's Dalvin Cook's brother.
1: I know. Um, it's, I never hear how he's Dalvin Cook's brother.
2: He just seems so unemotional <laughs> uh, I, I, and maybe he's just a guy that just brings it on the field and that's where all the emotion comes out and that's perfectly fine as long as he produces on the field he could be the most charismatic guy in the world and i can love everything about him just like i do josh and you know digs and that whole group or or he could be on the opposite side he could be just a person i i don't care for who i, I don't think is very charismatic he, he he could be our young sheldon if you will <laughs> um, just just no, not a person I care for he is who he is and that's perfectly fine I'm just very perplexed about he, he obviously did a pre-draft visit here he spoke to the Bills pre-draft and I, I have a hard time like wrapping my head around this is a guy who you just mentioned McDermott licking his lips at Kyrie Elam bringing out the notebook and you know we see Kyrie Elam in pre-draft visits very well spoken and you know very passionate about the game and you know what he brings and like James Cook is just this unemotional shell of a person. And again, if that's personality, fine. And if he produces on the field, perfectly fine. I could, I could care less, but I can't get my head around Bean and McDermott really connected with this guy in pre-trap visits. It's very, it's very anti-Bean McDermott to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe what I would be thinking is like, so when we see a guy like this, cameras are on, lights are on. He knows he's talking to a lot of people. Maybe internally it's different. Maybe he doesn't have maybe he's just like, you know, doesn't have to be nervous, doesn't have any pressure surrounding him if he's just talking to teammates. I don't know. I can assume I can try to assume a lot of these things.
2: But are you you are you are you worried his personality is not going to mesh with the Josh Allen's of the world and Isaiah McKenzie? You know, just these guys who ooze charisma and
1: personality. I'm not worried that anyone is going to not get along with Josh. Everyone gets along with Josh. You got a real problem if you don't get along with Josh Allen. To me, Josh Allen is like, I don't know. I, I think about like people that say they're Josh Allen's best friend. And like, they're all over the place from John Feliciano to Beasley, to Dawson Knox, to Deion Dawkins. Like they're, those are all very different personalities. Yeah. And and they're all a hundred percent on board with, with Josh Allen. So I don't know. I don't think James Cook is going to have a problem. I'm not. I'm not that worried about it. Kind of I, I, looking forward I, I now I that we have this conversation <laughs> to see where it goes.
2: It kind of goes into Terrell Bernard, who was also interviewed at One Bills Drive, and how his secret talent is he's good at ping pong. So again, just. See, that's a guy who I can get on board with in terms of you know integrating himself into the culture <laughs> of the team. And he's good at ping pong. He likes to play games. He's a fun guy, it seems like. But to me, it's like, why did McDermott get rid of the video games and the pool table but keep the ping pong table? Now I'm worried about Sean McDermott. His fun factor, if you will. His fun factor. Oh, he's got a fun factor. That's so. fun,
1: okay? guy exudes um, fun. Doesn't seem
2: like it. The one thing that does worry me about Terrell Bernard is – he was asked if he could choose a superpower, what would it be? And his choice was not super speed, not flight, not anything of the nature. It was invisibility, which is like a weird superpower to pick. Not because it's not cool. Like invisibility is very cool, but it's awkward to me that it's awkward to me that you're trying to make a roster and you pick invisibility. You don't want to be seen out there. Like, it seems like opposite of football <laughs> mentality. Like, I want to be seen. I want to be seen making plays. So I know I'm just nitpicking for fun here, but Terrell Bernard. I would have picked this different superpower if I was him.
1: See, I have to always think when someone adds invisibility, I'm like, oh, who's this creeper trying to just like be invisible? Like that's immediately where my mind goes. We need to
2: call Chris Hansen.
1: That's what that's what I'm hoping not. <laughs> Why don't you have a seat? Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you have a seat,
2: Mr. Bernard? Why you have a seat? What are you doing here? Uh, what are you doing at One Bills Drive with your visibility
1: mm-hmm. and your yeah, um, Mike's Hard Lemonades,
2: <laughs> Tony? When we speak about these draft picks, of course, the depth chart is now being fleshed out completely. Uh, we still got a couple spots to fill. Rookie minicamp coming up. You know, with these draft picks, with this class of draft picks, I'm guessing some current roster players, players that were on the roster last year, are are feeling their seat get a little hotter as they approach the 2022 season here. Tony, do three picks each. Players, based on the draft class, based on the free agents they've brought in, based on any new additions this offseason, three players back and forth. Who should feel like they're on the hot seat? Who should feel like their roster spot is in jeopardy? Do the honors. Who would you choose first?
1: Ooh, okay. I mean, I feel like a lot of my picks, I feel like we're definitely going to hit the low-hanging fruit here. And I think the lowest of the low-hanging fruit is the one who maybe wants to put it the highest. And by that, I mean, Matt Hawk, you're in trouble, my man.
2: Oh, yeah. Big time. The punt god has arrived. Big
1: big time. Exactly. The punt god has arrived and the hold god. Well, we'll see. (laughs) The hold god. Well, he's an elite holder. That's all we know.
2: Yep. Yep. He's got to practice his holding. I did enjoy a video I saw of Matt Areza. Practicing punting, but doing a drill where he was almost standing underneath a goal post and it was to practice his hang time, but also his distance. Like to, mm-hmm. to really get, he had to obviously, if he didn't get the right angle or the right hang time, it would be kicked right into the goal, the underneath of the goal post. So I don't see any videos of Matt Hawk doing any punting drills out there. I feel like, from a marketing perspective, if Matt Hawk wants to keep his job here, like he needs to start. Up in his marketing game a little. Like who was who mm-hmm. was the who was the who was the putter who used to play for Green Bay it was local? Jordan Jake Shore, I think is his name. But I
1: think I something like that. Yeah. yeah,
2: when he was trying to get a job, when he was trying to get the Bills to recognize him, like he was doing like trick punts and he was just getting his, his name out there, his brand out there becoming viral. I think Matt Hawk called the guys from Dude Perfect up and do like a dude perfect trick shot session with punting. Like you need to start getting your name out there because Matt Areza is is becoming the apple of Bill's Mafia's eye here with oh, his punning prowess. So, uh, Matt Hawk, if if there's any piece of advice we could give you is like start start upping your, I guess cool coolness cool factor. <laughs> if this is a Madden creative player and there was a cool category, like you need to put it to ninety nine here, Matt Hawk, because you know you're you're losing the battle quickly.
1: Now, how do you suppose Matt could do that? Here's I'm my just, idea.
2: Give us an idea, Tony.
1: Well, my idea is we have this video that you mentioned out of another great nickname of the punk god that he doesn't like. I would say <laughs> that Man Hawk needs to lean into the nickname that I just the counter nickname that I just Ooh. gave him of the hold god. We the I I want him. to see some extreme holding. I want to see some <laughs> holding like I've never seen before. I want to like see he, him lean into this of that he's the best holder in the nation.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking just like a viral video cocktail style tom cruise just bartender flipping bottles and drinks like yeah. matt hawk take the hold and then like do a little flip behind your back or you know spin it on your head do do some tricks before you put that ball down for the kick yeah i think he should embrace the whole god moniker here i like that Me too.
1: i think so too i think i think it's his best chance uh i think it got him the job in the first place and i think it's his best hope best hope left prove to us he's a lead holder or if nothing else just make it seem just like Overproduce the video so right. that it's nauseating. but really, <laughs> it's just we're trying to get psyched up over watching you hold up a football on the ground places right.
2: out like he, he he knows it's ridiculous, but leaning into it like getting super
1: excited about it.
2: yeah I need I need special effects. I need the whole shebang here right. I always thought a good like viral video for a punter would be especially if you're trying to get a job or trying to get an organization to notice you is stand outside the stadium in the parking lot let's say, and just start punting balls into the stadium.
1: Into the stadium. Love it. Yeah,
2: Matt Hawk, if if you need branding, if you need marketing, give us a call. Come up with some great nicknames for this year's draft class. So we know what we're doing here. So we can help you. We can help you here. We don't want to help you, but we can. Right. You. We don't want to if help you, you, but we if can you
1: wanna, if you want our help, we will immediately switch sides on this punter on this punter competition.
2: Yes, on this punter debate, on this punter battle. We we could flip the script here. Mm-hmm. Like Matthew's Matt has got all yeah, the battle of the mats. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Sunday, 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 Sunday. Mm-hmm. Battle of the mats. Tony, my first pick, I, I had Matt Hawk, obviously. But uh I'm gonna go with Tommy Sweeney. Yep. Yeah. The barber of Fleet Street, Sweeney Tom. I think his job is on the line, not only because of the addition of OJ Howard, but also the fact that the Bills don't run a lot of multi-tight end sets, or they didn't last year. I don't know if it'll be different under Dorsey. I don't imagine it will be, but you know, you got Dawson Knox pretty much established as the number one tight end. You bring OJ Howard as a second weapon. Tommy Sweeney, very diligent in his in his time stepping in for Dawson Knox last year. Thought he was pretty solid, but He's known for his, his blocking ability. Now we get word through the UDFA class. They bring in guy that many thought would go mid rounds, Jalen Windemeyer, tight end, who I, I really like, who I think has a really good shot at making this team. And I think Tommy, Tommy Sweeney's on, on the hot seat. Josh Allen once said he's the most interesting man on the team. I think he needs to start proving it much like Matt Hawk needs to up his marketing game. Tommy Sweeney, give me some connective tissue towards you. Like, Tell mm-hmm. me why I I can't depart with you on the Bills roster here. Tommy Sweeney is is my pick for whose seat should be feeling a little hot these days.
1: Mm. See, my counterpoint to that is I do think that the likes of Tommy Sweeney is safe. I mean, there was a passing of the torch from Lee Smith as the big blocking tight end to Tommy Sweeney as as these capabilities now. Where I th- And I think that the signing of O.J. Howard does indicate that maybe Dorsey does have some ideas for some two tight end sets uh, with a pair of athletic tight ends. My thought process is this. If you really were to look at, like, who are the best tight ends on the team? Dawson Knox and O.J. Howard are 1-2. I would say the third best tight end on the team is probably actually Spencer Brown. And I would say the fourth best tight end on the team might be Tommy Doyle. Then it might be Tommy Sweeney. Right. So yep. and when we look at this, I, I look to Tommy Sweeney if any reason. That's why he's that's why he's in trouble because we got some position versatility here if we're looking for someone who's going to be that blocking style tight end. But I mean, you know, the kids also got some hands. But I am curious to see what Wintermere brings to the table. Your theory's got some legs. It's got legs. Yeah. Look at Wintermeyer, Wintermeyer. I got to how to pronounce
2: his name, but Texas AM tight end, obviously. Mackey Award finalist for best tight end in the country. All SEC second team. Looks good on paper. He's got the credentials. So I, I think Bills fans, as Bills fans, I feel like we always look to the UDFA pool we bring yeah, in to, yeah. to see you know, who's going to be that diamond in the rough, whether it's like David Sills, the third or Brandon Riley or. Usually it's a, you know, a receiver of sorts. Guy in the past, Josh Thomas, who stuck around on the practice squad. I really like Nick McLeod last year making his, his mark on the preseason. So... UDFA guys uh, all the time coming in Trey Adams as well (laughs) unfortunately retired but he was notable for for other reasons other than football (laughs) but um (laughs) Tony who's uh your second pick here
1: I would say that it's someone who's never played it down for the bills but there was a time when some people were kind of psyched up for it I would say Duke Johnson I'm not I had him on my list as well yeah I don't think that Duke Johnson is uh is looking like he's in a very good position right now.
2: Yeah, it always just seemed like uh you, you didn't like Duke Johnson from the start, I know, uh, as listeners right. know. Well, from past podcasts. Mean, and a
1: lot of the reason I didn't like him and a lot of the reason I didn't like it is because I was like, oh, is this supposed to indicate to me that we're not going to draft a running back because I wanted to?
0: Right and, and we did,
2: we did. So, <laughs> it was it was very yeah. much the the duke johnson jd mckissick-esque player you know obviously brandon bean throughout this offseason has felt scorn over the jd mckissick thing and
0: have we okay, all?
2: and we have we all yes nobody turns their back on buffalo like that jd mckissick no. i hope you get booed every time you walk into the stadium but duke johnson seemed like a backup plan for that and I, I like Duke Johnson I thought he was really had one of his best seasons with Miami last year but it feels like upon drafting James Cook who does a lot of the same things can be a third down back I do think James Cook needs to improve his pass protection his blocking ability I think a guy like Duke Johnson probably excels in that over James Cook but Cook can learn a lot from Devin Singletary who I think is a great blocker when he learned from Frank Gore during his rookie year so it's just from a Weapons standpoint from being a receiver, a running back, and a a third down threat, a a guy on screen passes they can utilize. James Cook just seems to have more than Duke Johnson, and in terms of what they can offer to this team, so I think upon drafting James Cook, I agree. Duke Johnson's seat definitely feeling a little hot right
0: now,
1: Mm -hmm. and I would say, I mean, I would say it's it's on fire. If I'm him, I'm researching how to break a lease because with that with that (laughs) drafting of Cook, I mean it's going to be. It's going to it's going to be tough. It's going to be a yeah. tough road. It's going to be say. tough. Brandon yes. B
2: loves bringing competition, so, you know, whether you're a shoe-in starter or first stringer, he loves bringing competition for, for every role on the team. So, you know, if I was Duke Johnson, I would probably be Upping my special team skills to try to unseat Taiwan Jones at this point, which is going to be yeah. a tall task. But I, I think that's probably, you know, unless a knock on wood an injury happens, I think that's his best path to making the 53-man roster at this point. So yeah. uh, Duke Johnson was actually my second choice as well. So uh, I'll go to my third choice, and I will go with Tyler Madikiewicz. I think.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah. Very interesting. uh, Upon drafting two linebackers, that's obviously. On top of the fact that I think Madikavich gets paid a little too much for being a very infrequently used linebacker at a linebacker position, but kind of being a special teams ace. Not to discredit what Tyler Maticavich does, but I feel like you could teach anyone special teams, honestly. like That's always my been my mentality. Wow. It feels like we have enough athletes to, to be better at special teams than we were. I think we were very good uh, last year under Heath Farwell. So uh, Matt Smiley, I think, has, has a lot of good special teams people to use. I think Andre Smith, I think Joe Giles-Harris are guys who could, if not Charles Bernard and Specter, Spector, uh, can come in and, and unseat Tyler Maticavich. And you're probably saving a lot on the cap with him not being on the roster. So the Bills are kind of tied up against the cap as it is. I think $8 million, And then after rookie deals, I think it's in the 5 to $6 million range in terms of being under the cap. So not a lot of wiggle room. This year, if they want to sign, you know, maybe a veteran cornerback post-draft here, you know, an injury happens and they want to, you know, bring in someone to to fill in a role there. But um yeah, I think Tyler Madikiewicz could be on the hot seat. I kind of had the knocks on Bernard last week um, about his size, but. I think he could translate really well year one, and to make his biggest impact in special teams. The guy's obviously athletic; he has a lot of speed. It seems like he plays bigger than he is, getting off blocks and using his athleticism. So I think all those traits translate really well to a very good special teams player in year one, and then in year two or somewhere down the road, being a very viable depth piece. But yeah, I think Tyler Matkicovich. You know, I, I like I like his whole thing. I like the the kind of. Norse beard and the office t-shirts and I like his vibe he brings to the, to the locker room but I think that's uh that salary is gonna be his downfall here and so I'm thinking Tyler Maticavich's uh, roster spot might be in a little bit of jeopardy here
1: well I similarly from my third had uh, a linebacker but I did not go with Maticavich oh I had Andre Smith as my man oh. in danger uh for all the similar reasons that you had however see to me like you're thinking cap wise to me I'm like cap doesn't matter this year the window is closing but it's still open we don't care about the cap Matakovich is going to be more of a, a valuable and special teams than right uh Andre Smith is we would keep Maticavich over Andre Smith is kind of what I thought but I do and I do think that Andre Smith is someone who finds his way into reps on the field more often at the linebacker position? I mean, so in us drafting these two linebackers, I would say Andre Smith is is who I'd be worried about. You know, I mean, he's on a modest contract but it's not a rookie contract so i mean i i that's who i look at as being the person who could be unseated here i think madakiewicz is is good like i think he's a core special teamer i think that our special teams coaching staff is very happy to have him and and sees him in high regard as an and as an important member of the unit andre smith i don't know if there's reason to to say the same thing about okay i can buy what you're putting down yeah i I can also buy what you're putting down Out of respect here. Oh, I appreciate that. that. Mutual respect. Yeah. (laughs) A mutual Um, respect. A couple uh, of
2: gentlemen right here. A couple of gentlemanly arguments, if you will. Tip of the cap to you, sir. Good, sir. (laughs) To you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The other audible mention I had, Tony, just because I have to do it. I have Barco Stevenson. I think he's very much on the bubble this year. He
1: uh, he I had him written down too.
2: Yeah, I think upon bringing in Cleo Shakir, Jameson Crowder, yep. um, you know, Marcus Stevenson obviously doesn't play that slot role but he's really gonna have to make an impression on me this preseason this training camp i just don't see a role for him uh, you know there's only 53 spots i think you can probably practice squad him I, I don't i don't think he played enough games last year was active enough games last year to be ineligible for the practice squad so He would be a prime practice squad candidate for me. I guess I need to see an impact in the kicking game. You know, if I think he's going to unseat anyone, it's going to be McKenzie. And I don't think that's happening anytime soon. So unless he's the next coming of Dante Hall or Devin Hester in the the punt returns or the kick return game, I think Marquez Stevenson is kind of on the
1: bubble here. Mm -hmm. I had Stevenson on my radar too. It It just doesn't seem like he fits anything like to use a roster spot on a guy like that. I mean, it kind of made sense last year because McKenzie was injured to start the year. Now I'm just like, all right, like we're still gonna do this. I mean, we got He Wolf who can do everything. We should. <laughs> why are we doing this? Just, just let the He Wolf take care of business. Right. Um, Unleash yeah. the He Wolf. I mean, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I was thinking the same thing about him. It doesn't. He, even last year, I thought he kind of stood out. I was like, ooh, like a late round pick like this is making this team, this like super team we put together, like <laughs> right. it even even then seem perplexing. Now it's gonna seem. Very, very perplexing. We will say, oh, and correction to what I said before: it was Stevenson who started the year on an injury, if memory yes. serves correctly. That's correct. But, uh, yeah, and it was be- it was because he wasn't going to count against the team that we were able to keep him. But see, and it, by so by similar token, if we're just talking about spot fifty three of fifty three, the only other honorable mention that I wanted to mention on on my list is, and I hate to say it, but you know who's in trouble is Matt Barkley. Oh, I thought so too. Yeah. I could see that Yeah, even though obviously we like him we respect the hell out of him he's Matt Barkley he's great but I mean there's a lot of talent on his team and can one of 53 spots be used on a third string quarterback like that
2: right right (laughs) I I guess like with the new practice squad rules like post-covid you can can't you keep like a a veteran guy like a Matt Barkley Uh,
1: I guess I don't know
2: I thought there was like two or three slots for like veteran guys who typically wouldn't be practice squad eligible who you could who you could keep around right. i can definitely see matt barkley filling mm. one of those much like they did with davis webb last year um, and Davis Webb's obviously a lot younger oh, than matt yeah. barkley and doesn't have as many games played in the nfl regular season games that is but i think you're i think you're able to keep like a, a veteran guy or a couple on the roster and i i think matt barkley would be a perfect candidate for that Cause case Keenum is obviously going to be the primary backup and rightfully so he's, I think he's much better than Matt Barkley, but I, I love to just keep Matt Barkley around for the camaraderie for his, for his playful buddy aspects with Josh Allen that he, that he brings to the table. So yeah, I had Matt Barkley on my list as well, but I just, uh, mm-hmm. I think they're going to keep him around in, in some way. So uh, with that, we'll wrap up our bills news for this week. Tony, we got the main event coming up, though. We got our review of the TNT straight to TV, whatever you want to call it, movie in regarding the bills, centered around the bills, a fictional version of the bills, I guess. Uh, and that is second string. So very happy, very excited to talk about this marvel of modern cin- cinema, if you will. <laughs> so uh, with that, uh, we will be back uh, after the break. And a word from our sponsor. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but my drink is so delightfully cold thanks to Traveling Growler. And since we know place to go, keep it cold, keep it cold, keep it cold with a Traveling Growler koozie. Koozie starting at just $5. Check out www.travelinggrowler.com today. And now, back to the show.
1: Now it's time for... This get made. failure, not just be a hater. you know you how did this get made? the mediocrity of some Perhaps we'll find the
0: answer to the question, how did this get
2: made? And we are back. Tony, what do you get if you take the replacement, sprinkle in some buffalo and top it off with a deadly oyster poisoning? Listeners, we watch it so you don't have to. This is how did this get made? second string Tony what a movie this is my first time viewing it uh I I, I'm so excited to talk about this I I didn't know what to expect upon hitting the play button and an hour and a half later all I feel is is joy from watching this movie um and, and realizing uh spoiler alert the ending the Bills win the Super Bowl so um it was uh just to give the listeners a background it was released on made for tv i guess released on on TNT in 20 or yeah 20 uh 2002 um and that's my first beef with it honestly is like it was made in 2002 it looks like it was made in 1982 <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. not a, not a not a good budget but uh it stars gil bellows as dan heller our our hero uh john boyd as coach chuck dickter which I was thinking during that, like, that's obviously Chuck Dickerson, right? Like the scorned defensive line coach that Marv fired back in the day. And like, that's, that's a playoff Chuck Dickerson, right? The coach from WGR. Fight. Oh,
1: I didn't even connect that because I find it impossible to look past John Voight coaching in this film and <laughs> not complaining with varsity blues. Right. Like he is, he is his varsity blues self in this, in so many, in so many scenes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but I, I only see that. Okay.
2: I like to think of like Chuck Dichter, Chuck Dick, like the writers were obviously super lazy on this movie. And you could tell throughout <laughs> the, the dialogue, but they just probably picked like a, a notable 90s Bills figure. And Chuck Dickerson, who was uh, on the radio back in the day, happened to be the inspiration, I'm guessing, for Chuck Dichter. But uh, John Voight, of course, plays Chuck Dichter, the uh, the pencil biting man himself, John Voight. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for the listeners who haven't seen Second String, quick summary: uh, here it is. The American football coach Chuck Dichter, has worked wonders with the Buffalo Bills and is even confident to crown his career with a Super Bowl victory. But before the playoffs, an oyster food poisoning. <laughs> yes, an oyster food poisoning wipes out. His first team for a whole month, like the like food poisoning. Most people are out for a day, two, maybe tops. This is a whole month, so some pretty bad oysters. Uh, Dan Heller, played by Gil Bell, is an insurance salesman uh, and former college quarterback. is hired reluctantly, but his wife, but his wife twists his arm just for practice. Um, now has to captain and train a bunch of rookies and old timers against the hardest adversaries. Um, Tony, just uh, your initial thoughts on, on second string.
1: Okay, well, let me say that my initial thoughts took place in 2002. I okay. vividly remember seeing—I vividly remember seeing the trailer for this movie and it being hyped up on TNT when I was watching during the day. And they said, "When you're watching and, what, and Shawshank Redemption?" Like, <laughs> pro- I'm sure I was. And then probably like, and I remember realizing like, "Oh, the day that they say this for is tonight. This is happening tonight, today, right. tonight. I'm going to watch this movie about the bills. Yeah, I'm all in on this." And I remember like negotiating for the TV in my parents' living room and saying, yeah, we should watch this. And then I ended up not negotiating for the whole movie. I was I had to watch the second half upstairs. And to this day, I still remember the classic line at the end of I and it, it echoed in my brain for 20 years after to this day. of <laughs> How when, <powerful> it was. <laughs> uh, Yeah. Of when Gil Bellow says. Worst case scenario, Buffalo Bills go 0 and 5 in the Super Bowl. And like <laughs> I was just always thinking that if maybe I've said it to you here and there. Uh, but right. of course, then maybe about a year ago, I brought this movie up to you and you had never heard of it. No. Uh, so apparently I was I I was in rare form on that random night that <laughs> TNT premiered premiered this movie that, you know, I thought would be one of the biggest forms of art blockbusters in Bill's history. <laughs> in movie history. Well in bill's movie history
0: (laughs) right (laughs)
2: it was uh it was this and uh you know four falls i think where when you brought this up me not knowing what it was those are the two bills (laughs) movie documentaries that uh were going against each other head to head but uh the movie opens up with uh, a buffalo bills team led by doug flutie which Mm -hmm. Hardy tells me released in 20 or 2002 this movie is filmed Flutie only played 97 to two, 2000, so it had to be 2000. I'm guessing that it was released. I don't think it took long in the post production editing process to uh, come up with the, the final product of this movie. But we open with the Bill's team led by Doug Flutie and Thurman Thomas and uh Chuck Dichter. And um, you know, right from there, we see we see Chuck Dichter who has Super Bowl aspirations and ha- thinks he has the team to really take him. Uh, you know, to get him to hoist that Lombardi trophy. Uh, But right from that opening scene of Flutie throwing a screen pass to Thurman Thomas, uh, we go right into this opening credit scene of like the mm. worst, like 19, it reminded me of like a nineties, like California skate park, like montage, like just mm-hmm. grainy and like, <laughs> the, like the worst font you could think of. I, and uh, for some reason uh, they, they, had an interesting choice of music and that is uh, dire straits money for nothing. So oh, I wrote this down too. I wrote, that I don't down know too. why,
1: I don't know how that relates to the bills, but uh, please I, give me your thoughts. Makes. I, I also wrote this down. I have written in bold doesn't make sense in this context at all. <laughs> dire straits money for nothing, which I looked up the lyrics incredibly offensive song has aged right. horribly a song that you you can't you can't do this anymore <laughs> like you know like no. Incredibly it play today. Song. there no there are there are a lot of words in this song that i haven't heard in decades seemingly <laughs> so Boy. and i'm also like <laughs> you welcome know, to what, 20 what is the meaning here? It's, <laughs> right it's my it's money for nothing dan heller's money for something <laughs> <laughs> I mean maybe at the end, you know, no spoilers, but I guess maybe from the perspective right. of Tommy Baker it ends up being money for nothing in a little bit, but
2: I guess. That's it. I of course, and we would never foreshadow that within the first 3 minutes of this movie.
1: Yes, of course. But there's a lot that I appreciated about that opening sequence. That goes into, you know, like that grainy filter that is very 1995 right. somehow in 2002. Uh I really liked uh, you know, drew me off in addition to how poorly dire the dire straight song has aged. Jill's <laughs> making an appearance in here. Yeah. Yeah. No stampede. How about that? Yeah. So no stampede. The, Good. the Jills are Get in here making here. an appearance. Yep. And I was also trying to figure out the the timeline here because Peerless Price is also in the fold.
0: <laughs> right.
1: In this. I appreciate, yeah, because like when they show John Voigt, Coach Voigt, Coach Dichter, yep. uh call the play and he's like, Dougie, throw it to Peerless. And my first thought was like, Oh, Dougie okay dougie. i didn't know <laughs> they're real i tight. didn't know that yeah i did not know that we were calling him dougie and that was the first and i like what i like about the that opening sequence is it starts a little mystery matt and to me the mystery i'm trying to figure out is wait so is doug flutie like really in this movie like what is right
2: or are they like, is it the editing we're calling like it dougie.
1: right how much is this is game shots is doug flutie actually in this movie because it's dougie throat to peerless and over the course of the next 10, 15 minutes, the layers get peeled back on that mystery of if Dougie, as he's called, <laughs> is, is really in this movie. And then eventually, like we see on the practice field, which I have a lot of questions about this practice field. We see Doug Flutie in this practice field. It's like, oh, he's he's in this movie. Doug Flutie is acting in this movie.
2: I mean, it, it has to be 2000 because Peerless was drafted in the 99 draft. So mm-hmm. this has to be filmed in two, 2000. So, right. um, but yeah, that opening opening credit sequence is great. Also, we talk about the music, Gyre Straits. The music's by Mark Mothersbra, who is famously known as the lead singer of Devo. Like, wouldn't you pick a Devo song if you're going to go like 90s <laughs> uh, synth, you know, pop, if you will, like you just pick a Devo song. And that's the thing with this movie that I think gets, you know, I find the the most baffling is pretty strong cast. I would say like notable actors, John Voigt, Terry Mm -hmm. Polo, um, Gil Bellows was, was, I think he was in Shawshank Redemption since we mentioned that. Oh, of course Um, he
1: played Tommy in Shawshank Redemption.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, notable actors in this movie, it was directed by Van Miller. (laughs) He has the most famous actor.
1: Don't come cheap, Matt.
2: I I have my notes later, Van Miller, the real MVP of this movie.
1: Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And so much of what he was asked to do also doesn't make sense.
2: Right. Exactly. Uh, But notable actors directed by a guy named Rob Lieberman, who is not just a guy they pulled off a street or a college, you know, art major. He directed D3, Mighty Ducks trilogy, Uh, episodes of Falling Skies, Dexter. Like this guy is a pretty notable director and of course, music by Mike or Mark Mothersbaugh, who was the lead singer of Devo, and he's also the inspiration for Chucky e. Finster, so from the Rugrats. So if I mean, you got this pretty good lineup of you know people on this movie, uh and the product they all came up with is it's kind of
1: crappy. Like honestly, it's something. Like, whoa, it's something. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. I, I cannot sit here and have you use a term like "crappy." It's so bad for it's this good? film. Well, take it's not that? bad i don't think it's bad or good i think <laughs> it's, it's i think it's just misunderstood i like that misunderstood
2: <laughs> is a good word it's, just a, it's a, a good misunderstood movie yeah it is and, and another guy who's a misunderstood of course is the hero of this film dan heller uh we first meet dan in the opening scene after the opening credits first scene dan is selling insurance uh door to door and I want to get like right into the scene, Tony, breaking it down. Because when Dan first rings the doorbell, of course, Dan played by Gil Bell, uh, He rings the doorbell and the, the husband of the household immediately answers the door. And right away, you could tell this guy's an asshole. Like, he doesn't even need to say a word. He just has that a-hole look. And he, you know, it just, you know, typical, like typical guy who just looks like a jerk. Uh, but the <laughs> real the real story to me is what comes after, you know, he he coldly meets Dan Heller at the door. His wife comes flying in from behind, like <laughs> faster than I don't even know, like Sonic the Hedgehog, because I just saw the movie with my daughter. So that's top of my mind in terms of things that are fast. But she comes flying in and just is automatically just like throwing herself all over Dan Heller. Um, literally says the line, you come into this house right now. <laughs> like she's giving him the eyes, she gives him that line. And then looks at her husband right after that line, like you can leave or stay, but this is happening. (laughs) That's the feeling I got. Like she automatically had like the crazy eyes. Like she has been flaunting over this, this former NFL player, former college star in in Dan Heller. And now just like in her dreams, he is at her house and she is she has the green light like in her mind like it is go time <laughs> um it, it was wild so like i was cracking up the whole time and uh i i just what a way to start the
1: movie <laughs> what a way to start the movie we are introduced to dan heller's confidence uh when he gives a sales pitch we're introduced yep. to his bravado when he is interacting with the wife and he really puts uh the husband in his place so yeah. By the way, that he puts the husband in his place, I would have to think everyone's on the same page here, <laughs> and they're gonna, and uh, it's gonna like what's gonna bridge the gap for everyone is a common enemy, as it often does bring two, bring two entities together, and that common enemy is this dipshit husband, <laughs> real jerk. This guy is, uh,
2: anyway. Yeah. Afterwards, uh, next scene, Dan returns. To after, I guess, blowing the sale because he knows nothing about insurance or, uh, you know, he's, he's very forthcoming to the husband about being a jerk and everything and puts everything out on the table. So I'm guessing he leaves that house without a, without a sale, if you will. But next scene, he returns home, some reason walks into the house with a football. And I don't know where he got this football, <laughs> if he just carries it around in his car, but he didn't have a football during his sales pitch. Now he's back at his house with his wife has a football in his hand for some reason. Um, and that's where the movie really starts to take off. And, of course, Dan uh, Heller's wife is played by Terry Polo. And the only question I have in this movie is, what the heck is she doing in this movie? <laughs> like, she's she's just, very she's, of
1: the time. Like, this was her peak.
2: Yeah, but, yeah, she, like, peaks Like, Meet the Parents came out in 2000. Like, she didn't right. need the money. Like, she didn't need the money here. Like, she... She she just came off a mega hit, which I'm guessing was filled around the same time as second string. Here, Um, you know, she was in episodes of Felicity. She was in Sports Night. Like, she, I I have no idea, like, what her agent was thinking, giving her this script and saying like You're doing this movie," (laughs) or or if (laughs) she read the script and said, "I want to do this movie." Like, um, coming off Meet the Parents, which was a mega hit. Like, going from that to second string. (laughs) <laughs> a made for TV movie, um, just, just kind of baffling what Terry Poe is doing in this movie. But the, the movie really starts to take off upon uh, him entering the house, us meeting his wife, uh, and her informing Dan that they received a call from the Buffalo Bills for him to come in. And really, Dan's on it right away. Dan knows what the deal is, he knows he's there to be a practice squad arm and, and you know, throw his shoulder out, throwing 100 passes. Throughout the week in preparation mm-hmm. for the playoff so, game for the scout team.
1: So let me clarify for the listeners: this yep. is before anyone eats any oysters.
2: <laughs> right. Yes, we're getting he to the signed,
1: oysters. Right. He is signed as a, as a fourth QB to save the energy of the other QBs that will be rostered. Right. He Dan Heller is not on board with this.
2: Rightfully so. Do you blame him?
1: Well, it's not like his insurance career is going well. <laughs> That's true.
2: Yeah, that's true. And his wife believes in him and believes like this is his shot to really do something. And you know, Dan Dan is is keen to the the industry. And um but out of support for his wife, out of not wanting to sell insurance anymore, he accepts the job and he uh he's at Bill's practice the next day as the four-string quarterback. Um (laughs) the thing with this movie throughout is like the football is not good. And the players are not believable yeah. as NFL players. Like when no. Dan first arrives at practice and he meets the second string and uh, you know, he, everyone has animosity towards him for whatever reason, um, he, especially the coach, coach Chuck Dichter. Um, But it's like, we talk about method acting, like what's, what's the opposite of that because that's what these guys did <laughs> like nobody whoever the casting director of this movie is like shouldn't be at a job i hope it was not a, in a job after this movie because they did not cast anyone who looked like an nfl player or who no picked up the you know the the mannerisms of nfl players how how qb throws the ball or how an offensive lineman blocks or how running back runs you know or holds the ball it's it's some bad football Tony.
1: they're a rag bunch and what I notice about the second string squad, which is really the fourth string squad, right, is that you know on a real NFL team, I would say we're looking at an age range of twenty maybe to thirty five ish. Uh, Fair. Uh, and then on a squad like this, like on the practice squad. They're mostly gonna be young, it's gonna be you know 20 right. to 25-ish. Uh, I would say so why visually, does the tight
2: end look like he's 52? <laughs>
1: exactly. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> visually, I am seeing players in this locker room, and I have it on my TV in front of me right now. I just saw a guy in the locker room with the locker. He looks like some anyone's father-in-law, he looks <laughs> like he's just so he's so old. Everyone in this movie could be any any adult age right like the hairs could be gray the wrinkles could exist or we could see baby faces it's 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 all over the place it is it's a none it's amazing who they think i'm supposed to buy as one of the best athletes in america here in the nfl and here's the other thing about it they don't um like they drive so hard that we understand that like this is the year that this right. is like all of Dichter's career has been going towards this. That the that the GM is like finally put it all together, and no, and Dichter's never had a team like this before. So how is the depth so bad? <laughs> good teams have good depth. Right. That's right. how it works. Look at <laughs> the, the current the, Bills;
2: they have great depth, and w- they're right. Super Bowl favorites.
1: <laughs> right. Where where are these ragtag people coming in, and all of a sudden? It's yeah, I guess the starters are incredibly good. And then I guess we have like offensive linemen who don't know how to read and stuff like this is an (laughs) insane idea.
2: I I think I have the answer to that question of why is the depth so bad? And that's because Mm -hmm. I think the GM's an idiot. (laughs) Whoever this guy playing the GM is or whoever this portrayal of a GM is is not a good GM. He's not a good negotiator. He doesn't seem to know how to put together a roster. Um mm-hmm. he he lets Chuck Dichter just, you know, down talk him and push him around. <laughs> and it, you know, Chuck Dichter early on in the movie said, I could be doing your job as well. Like just right on the sidelines. <laughs> And he said, I think he said, I should be doing your job as well or something like that. So um, I'm not I'm not surprised that this roster is so poorly constructed uh, based on the bumbling GM uh, of this
1: movie. I would have to agree. He doesn't. They're constantly at odds. This is this is also a window into what doesn't make sense is that now I'm expected to believe that a team that is fundamentally dysfunctional throughout the front office and coach relationships is also a team that's in the Super Bowl. I feel like that's crazy too.
0: Yeah,
2: that it that is that is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um and speaking of crazy, after the first practice, the the first stringers, uh, the main roster if you will, go out and have a nice dinner, have a nice oyster dinner and uh I don't know what restaurant this is in Buffalo or what but uh it's flutie's favorite
1: it's what Flutie is it? was really hyping it up the, 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 they didn't name oh. it though right oh i don't think so but i just mean yeah they the flutie's the second best bit of acting out of douglas flutie or dougie, dougie. the coach calls him <laughs> as uh, dougie flutie is when he's hyping up how good the oysters are at this fantastic oyster seafood restaurant
2: right so let's just call it uh what's a good seafood restaurant in Buffalo? I don't even know. Remington's. Remington's. They go to Remington's Tavern. Shout out Remington's. Um, <laughs> and the oysters are not uh, shucked correctly. They're uh, not frozen correctly, kept at the right temperature. Anyway. Well, the, free- short, the freezer's broken. The freezer's broken. That's right. You see a repairman in right. the background fixing the freezer and the waiter right. is uh, nervous because these players are complaining that their food isn't there. So uh, what does the chef do? Of course, he just sends it out and and puts Mm -hmm. a little lemon garnish over it and and calls it a day. And uh, what does it result in? It results in the whole first string being hospitalized for a month, a whole month because of these bad oysters. Um, And what are are the funnier lines in this movie happens uh, upon the the players getting rushed to the hospital like it's some like post pandemic uh, contagion? you know their their movie uh if you will but um the 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 doctor as he's seen everyone being wielded uh realizes this isn't a good situation runs into an office picks up the phone and says get me orchard park the buffalo he doesn't even say who he is or why he's calling or what's the reason or it's not (laughs) as easy to get me bill's stadium yeah right it's like does this person even know? And then the, the cherry on top after that line, he's give me Orchard Park at the end. He says, oh, yeah. And of course, go Bills. <laughs> and it just if this movie does anything well, it's the nuanced stuff of, of Buffalo, whether it's the go Bill send off the reference to Adams Mark Hotel. I thought that did a really good job in, in terms of just kind of, you know, getting, giving giving it that Buffalo feel.
1: Oh yeah, I did appreciate, I mean, especially I think it comes in most tangibly in the Adam's Mark, um, in the Adam's Mark reference. Uh, yeah. In the Adam's Mark reference, but in that scene and in that system, I was like, uh, I was, I was in that scene and in that system with, with that Adam's Mark scene of when the player meets Heller, like the one that he has the previous relationship with from another team. And he's like, where they got you staying in the Adam's Mark, No, 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 you're staying with me. Right. To me, would would you do that in that situation? Stay with my friend? Yeah. yeah. I'd be like, oh, no way. I'd be like, "Uh, no, I don't think so. Like This team is paying for a hotel for me. I'm going to stay in (laughs) this luxurious hotel on the water. I'm not going to stay in the development in Eastern Orchard Park. (laughs) You know,
2: it's funny you mentioned him. In someone's house. (laughs) the, The Heller staying at someone's house because there's a scene later on where
1: um I I already know what scene I already know it I have it highlighted (laughs) where
2: Dan Heller and his wife are in the bathtub of this person's of his teammate's house and they have like uh, you know it's it's candles yeah candles lit up and it's very romantic and like you know they're in the bathtub together and I'm like if you were staying at someone's house as a guest who would do that (laughs) who would right. set up candles who would take a bath together you know these, these people could the just standard, walk right in
1: who would take a bath who would take a bath alone who's taking right. baths when you're the house guest of someone else
2: oh my goodness yeah that's it, all i can think of the what what terrible house guests the hellers are
1: it was unbelievable we're going to take a romantic candlelit bath when we're staying at these at these at like our old friend's house <laughs> for weeks on end. Oh my gosh, yes. I
2: talked I talked about the writers room and I just can't imagine. It reminded me of like when I was watching this movie, reminded me of uh there's a skit from Key and Peele where uh Jordan Peele <laughs> plays this uh consultant on the film for Gremlins 2 and <laughs> they're like sitting in the writers room and everyone's like coming up with pitch ideas and Jordan <sighs> Peele's character is very like flamboyant and boisterous and whatever and comes in he's like every idea it's on the table, just say it and we'll put it in the movie. And they come up with like the craziest gremlins characters. Like it's a, it's a back mm-hmm. gremlin. It's a female gremlin. It's it's an electric gremlin. And Jordan Peel's like, I love it. It's in the movie. Like everything is in the movie. And that's why I feel like the writers of this movie were doing just sitting around being like, yeah, let's, let's reference Adam's Mark. Let's, let's put get, uh you know dan and his wife in a bathtub in the guest house. Right. you
0: know
2: let's just throw right, everything yeah. in this movie we can i'm pretty sure like the first locker room scene which by the way is does not look like an nfl locker room at all it doesn't even look like a high school no. locker
1: room but i, I wrote the, i wrote the exact same thing down
2: i'm pretty sure the helmets on top of those lockers were mini helmets i don't think they were actual full-size helmets <laughs> like i yeah like I, the the size proportions like were just the kid size r- we're not right yeah they were like kid size. Helmets. yeah
1: like you know like the cardboard helmet that you like have to fold together <laughs> right yeah like it is like a kid uh souvenir they're like that they're just like a <laughs> they're just like a half step up from that
2: i almost expected like as size. they were doing practices to a, like for a phone to pop out of one of them i was definitely getting telephone helmet vibes uh from the helmets they were wearing throughout this movie oh yeah the old pho- helmet phones of course of course yeah <laughs> so anyway everyone gets sick and now it's it's gill show um we start learning about all the second stringers and their deficiencies one guy fumbles all the time uh, one guy doesn't know the playbook uh, because he had his quarterback in the past. Just tell him the plays every single play, which Sean McVay would love that. But you know, this is not real life. Um, but we get into the first game against the Chargers. I, I'm guessing it's the divisional matchup, and uh, it's it's a disaster from the start. The offense looks like they're not even on the same page. They're not even they're they're not even going to score a point this game. And They don't. Uh, it's all in the defense and they're saved by a last second I guess punt return for a touchdown um, but
0: mm-hmm.
2: at one point during this game uh, and this is why I say he's the real MVP Van Miller stands up and just yells he just yells you guys stink in like the most Van Miller-esque <laughs> way um, and that's why I think he's the true MVP he just has these like one-liners and he pops up and uh it, it was great to
1: see Van Miller again. Oh, I know it was a pleasure to hear his voice and to see his acting chops. Not yeah. too bad out of Van. Not too I would shabby say. from Van. Not too shabby at all. So I have a lot of questions also about the facilities in general that they're okay. trying to represent as One bill Drive. <laughs> Question yeah. one: What what is this practice field <laughs> right? that they're always on? Like I. Have to imagine that they took some field from like a like a Southern California Local high college school. or maybe yeah. high school, put slant buffalo bills on the scoreboard and are calling it this. Right. Why are there these like why are there these multiple section bleachers? Who's watching <laughs> these practices? No one. <laughs> you have to have these bleachers. I don't understand why there's bleachers on this practice. Yeah. And then and then to see the uh inside of the front offices (laughs) now i know in the the geico
0: offices
1: (laughs) yeah the geico offices i know in the story why they have to have uh other teams jerseys hanging in this office i don't understand why anyone would believe in real life that in the bills office lobby there's a (laughs) bunch of jerseys of players on other teams right <laughs> one of which is going to be used by dan heller in practice because quote he doesn't have 13 in red which i'm also like what the hell are you talking about
2: <laughs> Right? <laughs> what, what have, why does it need so to be you dirty? have
1: 13 in white and in blue i'm led to believe but not in red so your solution is he can wear a white San Diego Chargers jersey with number 15 on it.
2: Right. And what? the thing is, the thing is, like, the red the red is for non-contact, obviously. And literally, like, right. within the first three minutes of Dan being there, Chuck Dichter's like, yeah, just go knock the crap out of him <laughs>
1: knock, knock him on his ass yeah like,
2: like chuck, i don't think chuck ever had any intent to, to give dan a non-contact jersey so
1: he just stuck him with the the chargers no not, not until up. they could not until they could order a number 13 in red
2: right which they which they never did and that poor equipment manager god bless his oh, soul i know <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah he's
2: like, he's like i'm just the messenger
1: uh, oh i felt bad for that guy messenger i just don't know if i have it in red <laughs> what are you talking about uh, was, why do you have it in white and blue what do you right saying? right it was, who, who like knows it really the whole see the whole representation really makes the bill seem like a real ragtag operation between that the locker the high school locker room the quality of the jerseys and the helmets in general GM. yep the bumbling gm it's <laughs> it's all not a good look no, it's not.
2: The the thing that gets me every time is like the the bill signed off on this, the NFL signed off on this, the NFL PA signed off on this. Like they had to all sign off on this for them to use logos and actual jerseys and actual game tape and players and um like Doug Pooney and Thurman Thomas and uh, I can't believe those giant organizations signed off on this. Like this is okay to to, to represent the NFL in this way. It baffles me. How they did that. But anyway, those are all great questions. Tony. So, yeah, I love I had the same exact questions as soon as the scenes were set up in these facilities, whether it's the practice field, which looks straight out of a, a high school and not like a good high school, like a really mm-hmm. bad high school that nobody attends their football games uh, to the. The front offices, which looked like a like a Geico office with all the cubicles and whatnot, and uh, of course the locker room, which uh, seemed like it could only house about twelve players, not a whole fifty-three man roster. So, facility the the set design was was not was, was seemed seemed very low budget. You could tell, uh, but they do win off this punt return, kick return. The final seconds against the Chargers. Move on to the AFC Championship against the Miami Dolphins. And in the in between, we kind of start to get the underdog story developed. Uh, the players are fed up with Gill and his or Gill. I say Gill. Dan Heller and his loser mentality. Even his friend, who he's staying with, Jerry, the core the wide receiver, is, is fed up with with Dan, and they get into an argument. uh So what does Dan do? He he kind of. Takes a leadership role the next day at practice and starts to learn the intricacies and how he can right the wrongs of these the second string players. Uh, the offensive lineman doesn't know the playbook. Dan starts learning the playbook himself so he can teach him. Uh, he gives the the fumbling running back the the ball, and every time a player knocks it out of his hands, he gets uh, he has to give twenty dollars uh, to their Super Bowl party fund or something like that. So he starts to do these things to
1: help these players. Achieve greatness, if you will. This is Which, really where we see a guy who directed D three the Mighty Ducks. His influence right. coming through, right? Like these are these are Gordon Bombay ideas,
2: <laughs> right? Exactly. These are uh, tying Goldberg to the goal and having him learn how to stop pucks. Yeah. Yes, you know. Putting. Yeah. We're gonna have someone. It. putting an egg on a stick yeah uh, exactly and that's the scene i wanted to bring up because i have just like you have many questions about the facilities i have many questions about why dan brings the running back who last name hooks i don't know his first name but why he brings him to a graveyard to work on i don't know what i i'm guessing it's cutting cutting on a dime kind of thing uh but why a graveyard like the headstones aren't movable he can easily avoid them throughout this drill he's running (laughs) like it i I don't understand they're also they're also
1: not as tall as nfl players
2: no absolutely not (laughs) and and the fact that he gets like clipped by one at the end is just like is telling me that this guy should not be playing in the game even if it is second string (laughs) go find someone else it could be tough uh not only is he running through a graveyard why dan picks a graveyard he delivers the line of say don't step on the dead that's disrespectful like <laughs> it, it, it's a it's a great scene it, it's a it's a so bad it's good scene and then why does was hooks put on a helmet during this whole thing nobody's hitting him
0: <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> i have i this this scene really really was i think the the peak of second string for me of like what is happening why are they doing this? Why, like, so many questions during this scene. You know, the oyster scene of the first string getting sick. Like, that's that's what it, it is. What it is. Like, these players eat bad oysters; they get sick. Said and done. This scene is has like questions upon questions. Why is he running through a graveyard? Why do they choose the graveyard? Is it the graveyard outside the Ralph? that they chose or is it another graveyard?
1: that is what i'm trying to say that's that's where it is to me i saw this graveyard scene i was like well this is just another iteration of the adam's mark conversation this is someone someone did their research and said hey there's a graveyard at the stadium where we think they're practicing let's let's confirm it for everyone here that they're at that they're at the stadium we are trying to tell them they're at and drop this graveyard back in the mix. Yeah. It,
2: it's mind boggling why the seed takes place. Why the running back has six seconds to complete this drill is never explained. Dan just, or Dan just says, you know, do it in six seconds or else. Yeah. Um, But these things that Dan implements seem to be working. They go into the AFC championship game against Miami. You know, they start off bad. I think they go down 21, nothing. And then Dan, pulls an audible Dan Heller does his Dan Heller thing goes against his coach. Everything he's talking about starts implementing trick plays and things. They've these second stringers have worked on in practice and night practices and things, and it starts to work and and they end up actually winning this game like uh, somehow, some way, but uh, Tony, anything about the, this Miami game that stuck out, stuck out to you?
1: Well, to me, the story of this Miami game is really the B story uh, of this that's going on that Dan Heller made it to this game in spite of the fact, or I should say this, he made it to this game because there was a contract issue in the GM trying to sign Tommy Baker. Apparently, yep. there's a stud star quarterback also on the free agent wire who three has won Super three Bowl Super Bowls, <laughs> who has won three Super <laughs> Bowls before, and he's just ready to get picked up by any old team. The in the middle of the playoffs and uh and this uh and the the bills gm in the story could not seal the deal get back here and negotiate right apparently the deal the deal was in negotiation seemingly until sunday morning right when van miller goes on for some reason the stadium pa system (laughs) where he's never on Right, <laughs> but He goes on the same page to make an announcement to the crowd that for some reason also is expecting this Tommy Baker to be the starter, in spite of the fact that he's never been signed by the team to say that the Bills could not sign Tommy Baker and he will not be starting the game. So we're living in a world where a quarterback can just instantly join a team in the playoffs. where he has never trained or practiced with them has no familiarity with the playbook and would be expected to start to the point where a hall of fame play-by-play announcer has to go on and alert all the fans in the (laughs) bill stadium that a quarterback who's never been on the team is not going to start today, (laughs) is not going to play. Unlike all those other times when quarterbacks start the day that they're signed in the playoffs. For, and it's you know, we're all here to expect success. In defense
2: of the writers of this movie, they do establish early on in a conversation between Dictor and the GM that they can sign exactly one free agent yes. per week in yes. the playoffs. The league which, rules in this universe, <laughs> yes, which is a wild rule to begin with. <laughs> right. Exactly one free agent per week during the month of the playoffs. Um, and Tommy Baker, of we see uh as i guess uh color correspondent with chris berman nfl prime time just throwing shade at at the bills and and mm-hmm. dan and everything and that's good foreshadowing because we see kind of the backstory in this miami game of the the relationship between dichter and dan heller how dichter didn't want to draft heller uh initially and uh, the owner did and he never liked Heller and how Dichter's old school and Heller's got these new kind of crazier ideas that he doesn't want to implement. So they they have added at halftime and we see all in, the tunnel. in the tunnel and we see the tension build up. And despite that, they they win the game and uh, they go to their fifth Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills and in New Orleans. And we see Dichter meet Dan Heller outside the house are staying at to tell him the team finally did sign Tommy Baker and he's going to start the Super Bowl. So everything you just mentioned about a guy coming in (laughs) unfamiliar with the playbook, coming in fresh, not only the players, whatever is now being like that story is now being implemented into this movie uh, right and, not, in and it's bowl. not in the super bowl yeah <laughs> like he's just gonna come in fresh in the super bowl and try to win them a game uh and we quickly learned that tommy baker is, is just a huge jerk but the lead up to the super bowl game and they play the vikings in the super bowl which is believable at in 20 you know 2000 t- 2002 early 2000s um, <laughs> early 2000s because they had dante Culpepper, chris carter randy moss like you could believe the vikings get there i guess right or maybe it was just that's the time they had to film the Bills are playing the Vikings in some way.
1: Well, I don't know if you noticed. I mean, I do believe it because if you want to talk about the cast of this movie, which I do immensely, it's not just it's not just fruity. I mean, Randy Moss and Dante Culpepper are in the movie because right. in so many of the scenes, you can easily flip and see Dan Heller is number 13. Then all of a sudden the game action starts and he's number 12 <laughs> and he's, and he's dumping it off to number four, even though his running back is number 37. I <laughs> right. love, I love how they just jump right into using old footage from the nineties. And it's also not the same blue <laughs> like in the actor's right. uniforms. Or not and the same the, red in the helmet. Yeah. Nor is it the same red in the helmet. Like they're not the same shades and it's not fooling anybody except for myself in 2002 <laughs> when i was watching it on tnt except for 14 year old it's just right then you just <laughs> then you see a, somehow all the numbers change and then all of them change back <laughs> so you really look at this cast that oh yeah jim kelly is in this movie up somehow kind maybe of. that had, <laughs> uh, kind of, maybe backing up Doug Flutie in some universe. Dante Call of Pepper, Randy Moss are in this movie. Uh, Bruce Smith makes an appearance in the movie. He try, he almost blocks a pass and knocks right. that down. I see Thurman. And then, of course, we see Dicka is acting Dick is in the in movie. This lot, yeah. Dick is in this a lot, yeah. Dicca's in this a lot. Boomer is in this a lot. Yep. Which I wouldn't, which I wouldn't, which I'm not surprised at all because he loves the bills, as you know. Right. Van Miller shows off his acting chops. And then I had to look at the IMDb to find this. Donovan Greer is, is cast in this movie.
2: Actual player.
1: Yes. Yes. Donovan Greer is listed on the cast list as, not as himself, but it's Donovan Greer playing Donovan Greer.
2: Uncle of Jabari Greer. Yes, of course. (laughs) Of course. Everyone knows that.
1: And now on the on the IMDb page I do want to share a couple gems with you. Please do. So one of the players is known as one of the players, you know, characters is known mm-hmm. as Carl Big Daddy Harris. Yep. The actor is named Gauchy Boy.
2: <laughs> That's a common name.
1: Common yeah, Gauchy Boy. Late
2: 90s name. Yes, Gauchy Boy.
1: It's Gauchy, yes. Gauchy Boy. And then like my, Matthew the thing John that I Gauchy the most, Boy. Those
2: are the top boys names in 1999.
1: <laughs> Right, right, Gouchy. <laughs> what I appreciate the most is that another actor's name is, and or and or character's name is Bob Beverage. <laughs> beverage like a Pepsi is a beverage, right? However, however, here's where it really gets you. So the character's name is Bob Beverage, like a drink. Mm-hmm. The actor's name is Bob Beverage. B E V E R I D G E. (laughs) The actor's name is Bob Beveridge, portraying the player, offensive lineman Bob Beveridge.
0: (laughs) This is the effort. We we were working with the best here.
1: We were (laughs) working with the best. Yeah. Second string, not not on my watch.
2: Second second string.
1: (laughs) They'd be first string on any other team.
2: Uh, I I love it. Some good IMDb notes there. Um, I love the the lead up to. The Super Bowl game, uh, of course, Dan takes it as a free trip to New Orleans, which he should at this point. You know, he, he led the team to a Super Bowl and now he's just he's getting the shaft. He's earned it. Uh, yeah, he's, he's earned. he's earned the trip. But right before the game starts, the night before we see Dan in an empty stadium throwing a yes, single, foo- single a single football <laughs> just into the nethers of the state, like just as far as he can of the um, darkness. Yeah, into the empty space, the darkness right. of the of the stadium. And the only
1: thing lighting him up is the jumbotron that is for some reason on <laughs> right. at eleven PM.
2: Right. Why does he only have one football? Like, I thought the amount he just of, found it. The, maybe, maybe it's the same football I, I he, he found he, to, it to just, his insurance he found calls on the dark field. Yeah. But the amount of time alone he's going to waste just chasing that one football back and forth, unless he just does one throw, he walks in and does one throw and walks away. It's like a mic drop for him. It doesn't feel like it's worth it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> is he spending, he, he, he really marched to the stadium, asked security to let him in after hours, goes into, this the, goes onto the field with the jumbotron lit up and throws a single football as far as he can and walks away. That seems like a huge waste of time.
1: Look, Matt, I don't know what you want. It's a sports movie. Every single sports movie is required to have the same thing happen. The star player is going through an existential crisis and he has to go onto the field in which he will play the following day at night alone and just look around and take it all in. And there's and no security or situation has any problem with this <laughs> it happens everywhere and it consistently happens in john voight coached teams we all remember this from varsity blues mocks on the field it's where his life changed come on <laughs>
0: That's it right. has
1: to happen it's a requirement every sports movie the star player has to go to the field alone the night yeah, before
2: it makes it makes sense it's a sports movie trope if you will um, right. tony the big game starts super bowl tommy baker is the starter it's a disaster. You know, there's fumbles. There's sacks. There's, the Bills are down big early on. And the players lead a revolt. They go to their coach. Dan starts getting fired up. Tell him, put me in coach. I can win with these guys, which is kind of demeaning to the players. Like, you guys stink, but I can win, um, in my opinion. Uh-huh. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like nobody else can win with you except me because I understand you. Like, I'm one of the oddities. and. Chuck Dichter makes the ultimate decision to bench Tommy Baker after what is it? One half of football, I guess, in reality, not mm-hmm. even to which the, one of the offensive linemen. Yeah, maybe, it's like may, there's, maybe there's it's, one
1: drive remaining in the first half.
2: Yes. And in uh, the offensive lineman knocks Tommy out <laughs> with his helmet because he's a huge jerk right. and nobody likes him. Headbutts him. Uh, headbutts him. And, you know, that it's the, the typical sports movie. Come back feel-good story. Uh, Tony, any notes about the Super Bowl and what happened during this game that that stood out to you?
1: Oh, oh, during the entire game? Well, this to me is, you know, in the previous game, in the AFC Championship, I can, this is where I, it's where I kind of see and feel the wheels falling off the wagon. And the train (laughs) starts to just like, the train's getting shaky and it's going to derail. And I'm mixing metaphors I know here, but that's what happens in that. We really get And it really becomes Mighty Ducks in that the only thing that's taking this team anywhere is a bunch of trick plays that Dan Heller, that the only person who knows them is Dan Heller and how he's conveying them in secret to his players against the will of his coach. Right. And every trick play is just crazier than the last. (laughs) And but the thing is, some of the trick plays like do happen in real life in our era and it makes me wonder like okay so will roger saffold throw a touchdown this year that's what i want to see i want to see the right. plays from second string manifested in real life i want to see the guard throwing i want to see the sweep flicker move i want to see <laughs> cuts across the middle in the ways in in the way in the style of Chuck Dichter.
2: it it feels Price like early James dable it feels like early dable yeah Rick it does with,
1: feel like you know, it feels Josh. like early dable yeah um, yeah you're right like you're right heller has a reception in the, in the end zone yep heller has a
2: touchdown reception Uh, thrown by the guard like Josh had a touchdown during the Texans playoff game receiving touchdown that is and of course it all culminates to last second field goal Dan leads them back from this insurmountable deficit to get within a field goal of winning the game and of course it comes down to their inept kicker who earlier in the movie uh, just rocketed one right into his snappers behind (laughs) Um, which was a great Great filmmaking, filmmaking at its finest. As as they zoomed in (laughs) on the football flying into the (laughs) guy.
1: I was just gonna say the POV of the football itself, straight into the butt. Yes, really brings a lot of legitimacy to this film. All right, no CGI
2: there, I'll tell you that. But it all comes down to this field goal kicker, and I and and what happens? Another trick play, Dan Heller fake fake kick, runs it in, and as he's running into the end zone, is gonna get tackled short. Flea flickers it back to I don't even know the guy's name witherspoon something but the wiley offensive line veteran who had a he had a rousing speech with on the bench earlier in the game and talked about having a moment and whatever typical sports tropes movie tropes as we said um that guy scores a touchdown Bill's win the Super Bowl finally Chuck Dichter gets his Lombardi trophy Dan gets all the theatrics and being the hero Tony were you kind of hoping? that the field goal kicker would have that moment. Cause I was like, I didn't, I didn't want Dan to have that moment. I wanted the field goal
0: kicker to have it.
1: I think that I, you know, I considered this in that moment as well. And I think that I wouldn't have respected, respected it. And I would not have been fulfilled if it was just as easy as, Oh, this field goal kicker that doesn't know how to kick like the one, the blind squirrel finds a nut and that's the end of the movie. I, I wouldn't have done it. I think Dan Heller needed to have it. I think it needed to be on some kind of trick play or some kind of miracle play. It couldn't just be as simple as, oh my gosh, this random guy has pulled it off like right at the right time for one in a million. The one in a million time in his life happens to be this one. I, I did it. I wanted uh, I wanted characters I cared about more to take it. And let's keep in mind, it, it is not even Dan Heller that ends up being the uh, hero at the end. Right. I mean, in a sense it is, but, but he does... Lateral it to the seemingly washed up guard that is the backup of the second string, who's right. had a luxurious career. It's probably his the last. Yeah, yeah, it's his last game and everything. He gets it in the end, and in his in his first and last Super Bowl, I was I was satisfied with that situation. I There's a lot of situations kicker, after that that I'm not satisfied with, but that situation oh, I'm satisfied
2: with. Okay, I just thought the kicker before we get into that, I thought the kicker should add because I thought it tied into. Dan's kind of persona very well like psyching his guys up getting the best out of his guys not not being the star of the show but letting other people shine I thought that was kind of his mo throughout the whole movie and uh I thought like that was the moment like as he's psyching him up like just visualize it you can do this is are shy. like i believe in you kind of i just thought the kicker should have that moment because i thought it tied into dan's character and and what he mm. was giving throughout the whole movie a little better but you know i it, it's a sports movie you got you got to go with with what uh women might be stereotypical sometimes. So talk talk to me about the after they win the game, the oh. grizzled offensive lineman scores, a touchdown off, off the, the lateral. Uh, do you, do you have beef with the after <laughs> there's some sticking well, points for
0: you
1: or. I, I mean, I can just tell you what happened. I'll just present facts and you can judge for yourself. Okay. So we see that time runs out final score, 26, 21, the Buffalo bills have won the super bowl because of Dan Heller's heroics and the smallest. Super Bowl party on the field that anyone has ever seen commences of the team, two coaches, and about 12 <laughs> random people that then convey and start, you know, pushing each other around. Uh, Coach Boy throws his hat, and then Dan Heller separates himself from the crowd so that he can make eye contact with his wife. in the stands very Kurt uh,
2: Warner moment yeah
1: absolutely because (laughs) I know that in any Super Bowl that I've ever watched the end of it's really easy for the quarterback to just subtly escape (laughs) and no one's gonna try and talk to him when he's on the field that makes a lot of sense and so then he (laughs) so then he does give his beloved wife a smile as if to say we did it honey and it's all for you and then a voice off screen that we don't know who it is says dan heller you just won the super bowl where are you going and And then then dan heller and then it ends with that abruptly without an answer
0: Right. we
1: also this voice is the most awkward voice i (laughs) that anybody could have cast to ask him where are you going now right yeah they should have had Van do it yeah to have him to have him ask this and then it just freezes an image of Gil bellows smiling off camera or like looking <laughs> off camera smiling roll credits right, right. the, Very the abrupt, i've never seen means. anything i've never seen anything more unnecessary in a movie than this off screen voice saying Dan Heller you just won the super bowl where are you going that, then that ending. did not that did not need or belong there at all <laughs> we we it, that never should have happened that decision was the wrong decision
2: absolutely i couldn't agree more um Tony, with any of uh, these bad movies, uh, come good reviews, just like the podcast, How This Can Made? Uh, there are some five-star reviews on Amazon here that I want to read uh, one or two to you here real quick. Five stars titled The Buffalo Bills Win the Super Bowl. In the description, this is the finest piece of American cinema ever made. This might be you actually, Tony, writing this. Uh, no movie captures the struggle of man like second string, not just the struggle of man versus man on the football field but the struggle that every man must wrestle with deep within his own psyche. It is a glorious masterpiece and should be shown at school and treasured by future generations. <laughs> Couldn't say it better myself.
1: I have to admit uh, that definitely, and I'm being a hundred percent sincere here feels like my writing style and feels like <laughs> right. something I could have easily written online in, you know, the mid two thousands. Right. And I, I have to say i'm like 50 50 that i wrote that 15 years ago
2: <laughs> it might it might be it sounded like you when i was reading it so um, it, yeah
1: that 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 might be me i might have done that
2: <laughs> i might have done that back in the day um this one says do you believe in unlikelihoods the best buffalo bills movie out there because there's so many uh um, yeah <laughs> a hard-hitting expose of what may have been
1: And in many ways, it was it was what may have been like this was the original Four Falls of Buffalo in terms of like this is the first time that we as a Bills fan family are going to see the image of the Bills winning a Super Bowl. And then, of course, we saw it at the end of the Four Falls of Buffalo. Spoiler alert. But this was like I I do remember like being impacted by that. Like, wow, like this is I'm watching it, you know, like it's happening here.
2: Yeah. But overall, some pretty good reviews. 68 percent on Amazon. Five star rating. So. Uh, I, As bad and good as this movie is, as good as it is bad, I, I don't even know. But it's so bad, it's good. Um, I, I really did enjoy it in the end. I thought it was a pretty enjoyable hour and a half movie. Um, Not only even if it wasn't about the bills, I think it was a, a typical good sports movie. Tony, what are your final thoughts about this one about second string? Uh,
1: yeah, overall, I mean, I was wondering how I was how I was going to take it, you know, at this point in my life, 20 years later of the timing i mean you know i remember its existence and that's kind of the end of it and now here i am watching it in this year of my life would it hold up i expected no did it hold up pretty much absolutely yeah it's not bad yeah it's not bad, it's not bad. It's i not bad i watched it and it's it's not bad
2: listeners if you want to watch second string it is for free on youtube just type in second string it's an hour and a half it's a great quick watch uh but tony that's our that's our review of second string uh what do you say we wrap up the episode though
1: let's wrap this baby up let's
2: wrap this baby up uh thank you to our sponsors, as always traveling growler www.travelinggrowler.com check them out koozie starting at just five dollars go support local business great designs cool products uh useful products check it out Travelinggrowler.com. it's 2g side by side uh, t-shirts or TEE spring.com just released our newest design. If for all you Tecmo Super Bowl fans out there, it's the all Allen. If Josh Allen was in Tecmo Super Bowl, every play would go to him. So that's an honor. Uh, this design is an honor of that. So check it out. TEE spring.com search witty, not funny, all in words, support the podcast, t-shirts, hoodies, crew necks, tanks for the summer season, summer weather's coming around the corner get, get a witty, not funny tank uh, for the beach. Uh, where can you find the podcast? You can find the podcast, of course, on the Built in Buffalo podcast network at Built in Buffalo underscore iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts or listen to for free. You can search "witty Not Funny, all one word as well. Please subscribe. If you like us, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Whether we like to say whether you give us two minutes or two hours of your time, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you. If this is your first time listening, hope you enjoyed the show. Please come back next week. And for all of that have joined Witty Nation so far, thank you for listening. As we uh, get closer to a hundred episodes, which something never thought we'd do at the start of start of this venture for us. So uh, thank you to everyone who has listened along the way. Really do appreciate it. Witty, not funny. Search all one word. Uh, Tony Twitter handles. Where can listeners find you?
1: At Tony Ambrose, Tony Ambrose
2: on Twitter. Done. Simple. (laughs) You can find the podcast. Don't type type done. No, it's just Tony Ambrose. Uh, you can find the podcast at Woody sports 716 on Twitter, Instagram. Give us a follow, give us likes, retweets. We love following back, connecting with the Buffalo sports community out there. It's Bills Mafia, saber swords people. Hit us up, we'll show the love right back. Uh, at Woody Sports Seven One Six, you can also find us on Facebook, Woody Not Funny Sports. Uh, like the Facebook page. Uh, Tony, send off for the listeners. What do you got? Maybe some wise words of Gil Bellows.
1: <laughs> it, it is. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say worst case scenario, listeners. Buffalo Bills go zero five Super Bowl history.
2: <laughs> that might be very uh fitting this year. Hopefully it's more than one in four. One and four. Uh, we, we're thinking positive here. <laughs> yep. Uh no, go check out Second String. It's an awesome movie. Can't, can't, can't stress that enough. Uh as I always say, stay witty out there, everyone. Thanks for listening. Go, Bills. Peace. Bye. Bye. You might not like school, but make sure you're working hard at school.
0: The build the problem.
2: It's your boy DM3 and you're listening to the witty not funny sports podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network.